Welcome to Untangle, the meditation podcast from Gaiam. I'm your host, Patricia Karpus. In this series, we introduce you to real people with extraordinary stories and experts who have devoted their lives to teaching and helping others through meditation. In today's episode, Emily Fletcher interviews Jesse Israel. As a young adult, Jesse struggled with depression before he realized that he needed to make some big life changes to feel more fulfilled and happy. Having worked with startups, investors, and labels in the music business, Jesse was seeing exceedingly high levels of stress among millennials and feeling it himself. Fast forward, Jesse is now the founder of Meta Club, a safe haven for like-minded modern meditators, and he organizes The Big Quiet, where 2,000-plus people come together to meditate in places like Central Park in New York City. Before we begin, we'd love to hear from you. If you have feedback on our podcast, let us know at untangle at Now, here's Jesse's story. All right, friends. If you haven't yet met the incredible Jesse Israel, you're in for a treat. So thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Mm. One of my favorite Jesse Israel memories is you and I at Burning Man. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> yes. know you were there. And in case you haven't been to Burning Man, there's no phones, there's no texting. And I sat down to meditate with a few of my campmates, and I noticed someone walking by me. 20 minutes later, I opened my eyes, and who's sitting next to me but Jesse Israel. <gasps> Special moment. Mm-hmm. So you have started... Medi Club, which is a group of young New Yorkers getting together and meditating in New York City. And that has led to the big quiet, which are these beautiful mass meditations that are happening in the city. And when you and I met, you had just left your job. You weren't really quite sure about what you wanted to do next. So can you just talk me through that transition of, you know, you founded a record label, you used to manage MGM, MGMT, right? Mm-hmm. I always want to say other acronyms there. <laughs> <laughs> but talk us through this transition of like founding a record label when you were like five years old, I think. You were five, right? Mm-hmm. Four. Four. <laughs> Prodigy over here. And now you're becoming this leader in the meditation space. What did that transition look like? Mm. So the company started when we were 19. It was my sophomore roommate and I. We started managing the band MGMT, and eventually we formed a record label so we could rele- release their first album. While we were college students, we essentially started running a company that became a full-time company. And we were full-time students at the same time. Where were you in school? At NYU. What were you studying? I was a film student. I knew nothing about the music industry or how to manage bands or any of that. So it was just a lot of learning by doing. I was very fortunate to have won a grant for my senior thesis film um, that I was, able to, I was able to use the money from the grant to support myself to run the record label for my first year after graduating NYU. I was burning out pretty hard. I'd just been a college student with a full-time job and a full-time college career, so was experiencing a lot of stress. And it was in my early 20s when I first started to get into meditation. And I bring that up because it, it plays an important role in the transition that you asked about. Um, and I started meditating for you know a few years. What kind? Uh, originally, I went to Shambhala Center, and I practiced Buddhist meditation for Zen meditation for about a year. And then I learned from Light Watkins' Vedic meditation. That's what I've been doing for the past five years or so. Mm. Um, Anyways, um, I I learned meditation. And after a relatively short period of time, I sort of – I experienced my first big personal shift career-wise, which was really a question. Why 
Am I signing bands? Why am I running a business geared around getting people to buy music when I don't even do that? Um, and I had never really asked myself that before because signing MGMT, which was a big success when we were younger, fell into our laps and there was no question but to do that. So I, I really started to challenge that after a year or two of meditating. You know, I wanted to get more involved with, with the technology startup culture that was just starting to take off in New York. So I was able to run with that. And in a short period of time, we wound up doing this technology investment fund through our label. So we were able to invest in startups and help them make sense of the music industry. About two and a half years ago, I hit my second shift point. And at, this, at that point, I was like, okay, well, been doing the record label thing, been working with startup technologies and investing and you know, developing new businesses. Why am I doing this? And the work was not fulfilling. It wasn't really gratifying anymore. It hadn't been for a little while. So um, I decided to act on, on that and essentially worked towards transitioning out of the company and had no idea what I wanted to do next. I just knew what I didn't want to do. So that process for me, once I left the company, was travel the world for a little bit, um, you know, get, have some real big ideas and excitement around the future, come back to New York in my first fall in New York without college or without a business. It was like, what do I do now? And then hitting a pretty serious low point. What did it, it feel like? Really what, did, what did your low point look like? Was it depression? Was it anxiety? Was it like, what did it feel like? All of the above. But it started, it started with comparison. Mm. What I was doing was essentially I was getting in my head and I was going, okay, I just spent nine years running this business, this successful thing, this, scene that, this thing that seems so cool to everyone else except for me. And, um, and I've walked away from it to essentially restart. So while all my other friends who've been running their startups and moving up the corporate ladder and, you know, they're Making starting families <laughs> and they're buying their second home. <laughs> and here I am burning through my savings with, you know, you know, essentially a new career ahead of me that I have no idea what it is. And I'm just watching the bank account deplete. You know, I was essentially comparing all that to the stuff that I was going through. And it was re- and that was really challenging. And that would lead to depression. Yeah. And that would lead to a lot of self-doubt around what I was doing and how I would make a living and give myself the stuff that I loved. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I had a lot of free time on my hands. And, you know, I, I, I've, I've been organizing this bike club for about three years. Which you know is about. so fun. You are, you are a member. Oh, so fun. <laughs> I don't even fun. like biking. <laughs> and I had so much fun. Yeah, tell us about Cyclones. <laughs> Cyclones was something that I started doing when I was when I was starting to lose my connection to the to the work that I was doing in the in the music industry. I was looking for other ways to uh, you know kind of find fulfillment. So I started organizing these these group bike rides. You know I wanted to start a bicycle gang, and uh, in a short period of time we had hundreds of people showing up in these rides. It's illegal rides. We just take over the streets in New York. It's illegal. It's illegal to ride in that with that many people without a permit. Wow. Yeah. You're breaking the law. That's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know I was breaking the law. <laughs> but I had all this free time on my hands because I left the company. So I was really getting involved with that community. And from my travels from right after I left the company, I, you know, I was in Africa for a little while and, and um, you know, learned about this issue that I was that I had identified at some of the schools in the rural areas of Tanzania that I was at, um, where students had to walk up to 20 miles daily to get to school and back. So um, I essentially identified a solution while I was there, which was if, they, if these students could have access to bikes, they could essentially be more effective students. So with my free time back in New York, when I wasn't feeling depressed, I would get, to, you know, get in front of the Cyclones bike crew and talk about 
ways that we could collectively create a campaign to raise money to bring bikes to these rural students in Africa. And what I saw from that was that the members of our Cyclones community really, really wanted to be involved. They really wanted to sort of attach a a personal purpose to this project. It gave a new sense of purpose for the rides that we were doing and new ways for the community to really activate. And I loved it. And we wound up raising some money and a significant amount more than we needed. And not only were we able to get a bunch of bikes into schools over there, we also created our our own bike shop overseas employed by women. A bunch of cool stuff came. And then winter rolled around and it was too cold to ride bikes. This was December, 2014. And I was longing for, you know, bringing community together and activating community and, you know, kind of getting our hands dirty with a shared purpose, a shared interest. There's all these people that are active, modern New Yorkers, running startups, working in the fashion world, DJs, bartenders, designers, and they're all learning meditation and sort of practicing on their own. Um, You know, I want to start some sort of a community around modern meditation. You helped push me there. I sent out that email to, you know, I think it was 50 people. And we did our first Medi Club. I think about 20 people showed up and we shared, we shared silence for 20 minutes. I think we had some snacks, played some hip hop music and this, you know, great design loft. It was a very sort of unique way to share meditation in the city and people really liked it. So now I'm getting into the next part of the story. Yeah, I like it. No, I mean, I think it's a fascinating story. Yeah. When we did our second Medi Club, which was the next month, um, we doubled in size And the word of mouth around it was really strong. People really enjoyed having space to meditate with other like-minded people in in an environment that didn't feel like maybe a yoga studio or other places where you would think to do meditation. So there was something special there. And then by the third Medi Club, we were starting to get close to reaching capacity at this design loft. So it became clear that, that we needed to come up with some other outlet for what we were doing which was to share meditation in a large group, but also to create awareness for meditation in a way that was modernized. So um, I'm on the arts committee for Summer Stage, and I suggested to them if they were willing to give MediClub, you know, an hour or 90 minutes to host a mass meditation, MediClub could co-create what that experience would look like. And they took a risk and they went for it. What wound up happening was um, people created their own little pods around ways that they could give their own kind of skills and gifts um, to this larger mass meditation, Big Quiet project. We decided we'd call it Big Quiet. So Great name, by the way. Thank you. You're welcome. A lot of people in the community put it on their Instagrams and shared it with their friends and family and just got the word out. And since then, we've, you know, we've gone on to do Big Quiet mass meditations. We did one on a 700-person boat where we had a line of 1,200 people show up before doors on that a Monday night, crazy. which was wild. I'd and never you, seen How many people like did you that. turn away? Like how many people couldn't even fit on that, the boat? That was a bummer. I mean, we had to turn away 500 people. Wow. Um, so that sucked, but it was also a cool sign of, hey, people really want this. Yeah. Um, so now that the community has grown, it's thousands and thousands of people. We do our Medi Club gatherings every month. We've got um, a couple of awesome big quiets in the works from Lincoln Center to a couple of cool music festivals that are happening. Mm. And uh, it's been really, really fulfilling. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a minute, like fulfillment. Can you share a little bit about how you've recently been accessing your own fulfillment and 
moving out of that whole compare and despair mm. mentality because I think it would serve a lot of people. Yeah, I'd love to speak to that. So I've had a couple of big realizations this year, and I can I really can attribute it to um, a full week that I did in solitude in a cabin mm. in in uh, in California, which was really beautiful and also really challenging. But one of the first realizations that came out of that experience for me was um, realizing that the way that I've been existing since I left my company, really the past year, as we've seen a lot of growth around MediClub and the Big Quiet, is that um, I attach myself to waves, which are moments of momentum and success. So a wave will be like a great press story is written about the Big Quiet. And I'll be like, yeah. I'm nailing good. it. I'm the smartest person in the world. <laughs> uh, Emily was right. I am the coolest man on the planet. <laughs> so what I wound up happening was I was really sort of addicted to waves because when waves happened, I felt like everything was good. And when there were no waves, I would start to torment myself. And it wasn't until I started, you know, working closely with with our mutual friend Johnny Pollard, who's become a mentor and teacher of mine, that um he started to help me have a better understanding of the waves. And um he helped me start to understand that we are not just the wave, we are the entire ocean. And, um, you know, so much of what I'd been doing was essentially, um, you know, ident- identifying with doing as a way to feel fulfilled Prove or that good. Your wave is yeah, than someone else's <laughs> right, wave. <laughs> right. As opposed to just being. That was a meaningful realization for me. Now, since I've been able to acknowledge that, it's been easier for me to give myself permission to enjoy the process. And the, the biggest and most challenging thing that I've allowed, that I've given myself permission um, to experience is essentially letting go of this notion that I need a lot of money in a short period of time to feel good. And I'm not saying that a lot of money is a good or a bad thing. I grew up privileged and I've always been around lots of money, so it's always sort of a given that I needed lots of money in the work that I was doing. So for the past year, while things like MediClub and Big Quiet grew, people would see the success, they would see the impact it was having, they'd be like, Jesse, this is awesome. But I was torturing myself because I could see the growth and I could see the impact that it would have and that would feel good for you know, a fleeting moment until that voice would kick in and say, but how are you gonna make a ton of dough doing this? How are you gonna make the type of money that all your buddies with their successful startups have? And that's when I would totally move away from that ability to feel fulfilled and excited about the work that I was doing. And I made real sacrifices to do this work. And I wouldn't really allow myself to enjoy it because I was getting so caught up in the money piece. So it wasn't until I started to allow myself in the past couple months to just, well, first I asked myself, why do I feel like I need so much money? Why was making a lot of money in a short amount of time important to you? It was, it, it, it felt like, I think it was something that I just inherited societally, perhaps the way the environment that I grew up in, perhaps it has to do with comparison and my peers. I mean, it's just, it was just kind of a given since I was born, I think. It was just an assumption that you never took the time it was to just question. An, yeah, just an, it was just an assumption, really. And because it's, it's, it's been like compounded and sort of you know, beaten in my head through what I see online, through social media, through my you know, extraordinary peer group, it was never something to question. It was just always a given. I'm not sure how many people ever really stop to question what their relationship is with money, what their assumptions are about money. I feel like as we become adults, 
finances become this like boogeyman that we're still allowed to be afraid of. Mm. You know, if you were still afraid of a boogeyman underneath your bed, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone think you were crazy, you know. But if you're afraid about your finances and if you're afraid about the money in the bank, I was like, oh, good, that's adult. That's very responsible of you to be worrying about that. And yet how many people are stifling their own creativity, stifling what they really could be contributing to the world because of some old assumption that they might not have even chosen. Mm -hmm. It might have been put on them by their family or social media or their peer group. But I really have to believe in my heart of hearts that the more you contribute, you know, and the more you really are using your gifts to serve the need of the time, that that energy in the form of money will flow. Mm. And and yeah, you got to hustle. And yes, you got to connect people. But if you're really being of service, I think that that stuff is on the way. And I know that you know that, but I'm, I guess I'm just applauding you for really taking the time to get so honest with yourself and really uh, question who who put those ideas about money there and are they even mine? Mm. And I'm glad that it's been liberating for you to find those answers. Thanks for saying so. You know, it's it's one thing to talk about this stuff mm-hmm. and it's and and maybe feel inspired when you listen to a podcast and you and you hear a conversation like this, you go, oh yeah, I can relate to that. And that's what would happen to me a lot over the past year, but it was always so fleeting. I'd feel inspired and I'd relate to something or this would make sense and then it would go away and that voice would come back and the whole money thing would just it would just wipe out everything. Mm-hmm. And I just I also want to say thank you for being so um, honest and vulnerable because I think money is a tricky thing to talk about. Yeah. Period. I think talking about money in the meditation space is virtually taboo. Yeah, yeah. You know, everyone's like, "How dare you charge money for your meditation event?" And it's like it really it get it sets people uh, uh, on fire. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just appreciate your vulnerability for talking about it so so openly. You know, there's. A record level of stress with the millennial generation. You know, there's more stress experienced um, in the life of a millennial than any U.S. generation before. People are looking looking for solutions to chill and to and to be able to reground and take a break from all the technology and take a break from all the stresses of our lives and take a break from the social media comparison that I spoke about, which is something that, by the way everybody is dealing with, but so rarely communicating. I'm 100%, 100% addicted to social media. It's like I'm, I'm like outing myself right now. And I actually wanted to ask you about it. Like I noticed that you're not on it very much, like unless you're promoting your events. Is that a conscious choice that you made? And how did you rip the cord if you have? I'm, I'm not against social media. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, again, it's like what I was saying before, that there's a, there's a sort of disillusionment around what we see on social media. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not the first person to speak about this, but I do think it should be spoken about more. What we see on our feeds is 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 not it's not real. It's not really what's happening in other people's lives. Mm-hmm. It's a curated reality. It's that curated. People want you to see. You know, like I um, I I did a really interesting experiment. I'm a, and I, this, this is going to sound like tooting my own horn, so I'm going to toot. It was a really it, a really interesting experiment. At one of our Medi clubs, it must have been in June last year, um, I was speaking about social media comparison. I was, shared a story. I was at a dinner with 14 people, and one of my buddies, very successful entrepreneur, was, was talking about how he had won this award, really, really awesome award. Uh, and he was talking about how when he won the award, he felt like a fraud because of all these things that were happening in his personal life and with, within the organization of the company that he got the award for. And, and he was very unhappy and, and very sort of self-doubting. And without even thinking, I said, I can't believe this. 
when I saw you post that award, it's him smiling with his co-founder. And when I, when I saw you post that online, I was proud of you because you're my guy. And I remember being like, man, if I'd say to my company, I'd get an award like that. And I'd be like, these, I'm never going to find success like these guys. <laughs> so I'd said, I said to him in front of this group of 14 people, like, it's so interesting to hear that you were going through a tough time and actually experiencing a lot of what I was experiencing. Although you had won this award that, you know, was such a big deal mm-hmm. to everybody else. And um, the conversation at dinner turned into pretty much everyone admitting the same thing about about something similar to it. We, and we all we kind of all we all sort of realized we we're all we we're all going through the same stuff in different ways, and we're just not really talking about it, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to how we compare ourselves to others on social media. So the next week we had a Medi Club, and I spoke. I shared this story, and. Um, Yes, uh, you know, someone there had mentioned to me, I'm surprised to hear you say this. We've watched the growth of this community. We can't believe, like, you know, you're going through this. And sure enough, the room opened up. Everyone acknowledged that they're going through the same thing. And there was probably 80 people in that conversation. We very rarely let uh, press into MediClub. And at that one, the Wall Street Journal was doing a feature on, on, our, on our work. So he was taking photographs of our conversation. The next day, the feature came out on the Wall Street Journal about the work that I'd been doing with this community since I left my company. And sure enough, there is a photograph of all of us together at MediClub. The moment came where I was like, do I share this online and essentially go against what I've, what I just was speaking about while it was photographed or do I hold back and not share it? And I realized, well, I don't want to, I don't think it's right to just fully avoid social media. Um, I actually think there's a lot of benefits to social media. So I was, I'm going to do an experiment. And what I did was, I shared, I shared the article on my Facebook page, and I acknowledged that you know, what they covered in the story was a lot of stuff that I'm very proud of, stuff that, that I'd given a lot to over the past year. But what the story doesn't cover is what happens behind the successes. So I just took a paragraph to share some of the challenges that I had experienced along the way while building that stuff. And I got, you know, I got vulnerable. I got, you know, relatively real. I wasn't doing like a, uh, you know, cry for me type of thing, but I just was very upfront about what I experienced. And I called it a, I did a hashtag internal share. Um, and it was so interesting to see how the story uh, had an impact on people. Yeah, I thought that was a beautiful post. And I'm so glad that you shared it in that way because yes, let's celebrate our successes. But why not, you know, share a little bit more of the whole truth? And I think one of the things you brought up is that if you're checking yourself on what's your intention in posting, you know, am I posting this to show off? Am I Mm -hmm. posting this to make you feel like to make me feel better than you? I think people can feel that a little bit. Always with actions, we can feel what's the intention Mm. behind it. So that's something I'd love for us to have more of a conversation about. Um, I agree with you. But I'd love to just pull the lens back a little bit because I feel like Actually, this thing, this social media thing, this compare and despair of I think that my buddy getting this award is making him happy and yet I'm not feeling happy. If he, I think it speaks to something bigger, this thing that I call the I'll be happy when syndrome. Mm. You know, I'll be happy when I get this award. I'll be when I make a ton of dough. I'll be happy when I have a thousand students, 3,000 students. I'll be happy when I finally learn to meditate even. Mm. You know, we can even do it with meditation, which is crazy. So true. Once I'm meditating for eight years and then I don't have any stress in my body, then I will be happy. Right. And it's this ridiculous little disease. 
And so I feel like if we can sort of collectively reframe this a little bit, instead of I'll be happy when, it's like, wait a minute, what am I doing to access my happiness right now? Right? And then how do I use my desires as a means by which to deliver that fulfillment instead of the other way around? Mm. And I actually feel like this social media imbalance is, is uh, highlighting this in a way, just like our economy and our food, you know, and our environment. It's like these things are becoming so out of balance that we're having to address them. And so even though it's a little painful when things come out of balance, I'm actually really thankful that they are. Mm -hmm. And I'm really thankful that you're doing the work that you are to give this new generation of people access to their fulfillment in the only place that it resides, mm -hmm. which is inside of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Beautifully said. Hey, thanks. So can you talk to me about what's next for you? What's next for MediClub? What's next for Big Quiet? Like, how is it going to evolve and how are you going to continue to create with it? Sure. So... It, it's so cool to see the hunger around this community and what we're creating. And what's clear to me is the next step to allow this thing to grow, to continue to spread this value system, and ultimately to you know, engage other people. Um, so one of the things that I'm really focused on now is this um, uh, leadership program, essentially, within our community where we're um, identifying certain individuals who will essentially be facilitating uh, more intimate versions of MediClubs, which will happen on a weekly basis. So what that looks like is 10 to 20 people in an apartment, in a cool retail space, in an office space that will come together and share 15-minute meditation and then have a conversation around the stuff that we're talking about, just kind of the, the issues that we deal with as modern people in a uniquely safe environment. Right? So these, these circle leaders, as we call them, are becoming trained to host conversation and hold space in a way that feels safe and also where they can help people with meditation. So we've got 25 people in, in New York who are going through this program now and we'll start hosting these weekly gatherings. So we have our big quiets, which happen you know, every three or four months where we're really just like opening this thing up to the city with open arms, inviting the residents of this great of these great five boroughs to come and see what we're doing, be a part of it, learn more about our offerings, get involved with meditation and the kind of conversations that we're having in a way that's totally inclusive and modernized, right? And meet everyone at their level. That's something that we're kind of focused on. Um, so yeah, so that that circle leadership program I think is a really important piece. And what I hope to see is that as other people start to hold space and create what essentially I'm doing with these monthly gatherings, as other people start doing those, they'll be able to identify other people who can be trained and do those as well. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a small group model. Mm -hmm. And um, the more we grow small with those, with those weekly uh, circle gatherings, the more we can grow large with our big quiets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I did this experiment where <clears throat> we put a little tab on the big quiet website that says host your own big quiet. And uh, without even promoting it really, We've received um, host requests, people that have actually filled out this form and spoken about why and where they want to host a big quiet. And we re we've received these in over 90 cities and countries, mm -hmm. you know, from Tokyo to Albuquerque to Mexico City to Bali, all over the world. People are interested in, in, in playing a role in this. So what I'm interested in is how do we go really deep with it first in New York from that leadership program to awesome, big, big quiets I'm just building this with a really great group of people, a great you know team of mentors and teachers, and 
a lot of really skilled individuals who are giving their their sort of time and ideas to to what we're building here, and it's really fun. Right on. I can't wait. Madison Square Garden meditation. Let's do it. Here we come. Let's do it. <laughs> well, Jesse, thank you so much for being here. It's a delight to know you. I'm so inspired by the work that you're doing, and I'm so thankful for it. And I think the world's going to be a lot better place because of you. So I will be meditating with you soon, friend. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Great talking to you. Thanks so much to Emily and Jesse, and thank you all for listening. We look forward to sharing more inspiring stories on our next episode. Once again, if you have feedback or suggestions for guests, email us at untangle@gaim.com, and don't forget to check out Meditation Studio by Gaim in the App Store. See you next time. <laughs>